Hi, I'm Eric, also known as v 47 from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! Hello and welcome to Interstellar Comms with Eric, the show in which I, Eric, reach out into the vastness of the sci-fi universe to communicate with creators of all kinds to explore the rich universe of science fiction. Whether it be books, television, movies, comics, games, or anything else, if it's sci-fi, we'll talk about it here. So open hailing frequencies, because we're broadcasting on all channels and about to blast off. Hello and welcome to Interstellar Comms with Eric, that's me, the show where I reach out via comms channels to various different hosts across the entire world and talk about all things science fiction. Today I have a very special guest with me, we have Mike, aka Dread Pirate Dad from TikTok, to talk about time travel in the world of sci-fi. Mike, take it away, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Eric. I am Mike, a.k.a. Dread Pirate Dad, as you mentioned. I just love sci-fi in general. Time travel as a trope is particularly fascinating for me. I do talk about it quite a bit on my TikTok account. I imagine that's why we're here. I've I've, uh, certainly shared some thoughts uh, about how time travel can work or might work or, you know, doesn't actually work, but uh, it's fun to think about and create some interesting storytelling mechanics. So let's just get on into it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. That's what had brought you to my attention uh, originally was that you had done some TikTok videos trying to break down some of the time travel mechanics of some from various franchises and such. And it was very interesting to watch as well as um, entertaining because it was it was fun to like go back and be like, yeah, okay, that may not work, but it was was interesting. So you would talk about time travel in sci-fi. And I would think that for the most part, the majority of movies, books, comics, uh, TV shows, what have you, that involve time travel are probably within the science fiction genre. However, do we think that having time travel in the plot automatically makes it sci-fi? For me, sci-fi always comes down to um, a nice alternative for science fiction is speculative fiction. I like that term as well. I don't think either is like better necessarily, but I've heard it you know, people correct to speculative fiction sometimes. And yeah, I think that fits too. And it, it's a good reminder of, I think, why sci-fi lights up our brains. It's it's sort of a, a what-if scenario. It's sort of, you know, if you take the rules of science as we know them today and tweak them just so, mm-hmm. what kind of storytelling possibilities does that open up? If you throw the time travel element into a story, um, it's it's in the sci-fi realm. Um, there's There's a big discourse right now on like what is science fiction and i'm not super cut and dry about that i mean i think you, there's wiggle room especially in in genres uh, for a lot of overlap and a lot of gray area so uh, yeah i think if you've got some time travel in there it's 
it's probably sci-fi, <laughs> at least a little. <laughs> right. I, I, I definitely agree with you on a lot of points there. In my previous episode, I spoke with uh, Damien about the differences between sci-fi and the fantasy genre and where the lines blurred between that. And one of the things that we talked about was the different versions of sci-fi within the genre. And he spoke of hard sci-fi versus soft sci-fi versus science fantasy and things like that. I have seen some, th- some instances of of shows or movies, books, whatever, that had time travel built into them, but done in such a way that there was no science involved. So I would not consider it necessarily sci-fi. I think the best example right now would probably be something like Outlander, where the time travel portion is almost entirely magical in nature. And so I would put that more towards the fantasy side of the spectrum. But Again, as we stated, it, it kind of comes down to being almost a subgenre of the same thing. Right. Yeah, there's there's such a blurred line between fantasy and sci-fi, especially once you kind of jump into the premise that like Arthur C. Clarke's famous quote, you know, any sufficiently advanced science is indistinguishable from magic. So, oh, I you know, you can head cannon last Outlander to the point where, uh, oh, man, I'll probably do it now. <laughs> I'll, I'm, uh, there's an alien race that created these portal stones that really... Our main characters have nothing to, no knowledge of. They're just using them. And I kind of connect those dots in my head behind the scenes all of the time because everything is sort of interconnected in my brain of the possibilities of how things got the way that they are. And so I get a little bit of, little bit of Stargate trickling into the back of my head when I'm looking at like, oh, how these portal stones get here in Outlander. Like, oh, it's not really important to the story, but in my head. Maybe it's aliens. Maybe it's a. Maybe it's time travelers from the future that set up these rings all the way back through the past, and right. it's not super crucial to the plot or anything. And I don't hate. I don't get hung up on it. But yeah, that's why I kind of like. I'll insert science fiction into anything, <laughs> even if it's not intended. So that's probably part of why I'll say, yeah, sure, it's sci-fi. <laughs> no, that makes perfect sense. I, I do that quite often as well. Um, I find the best shows for me, the best, uh, you know, any kind of media that I consume. If I find myself not doing that, then that to me means that they're doing the best possible job they could be doing as far as storytelling. Because if they're not giving me any room to stray, like if I'm focused, I I don't want to say not giving me the room to stray, but if I'm focused on the story that they're telling so much so that I'm not adding in bits of my own on the side, then you're doing a dang good job storytelling because that is very, very rare. Yeah, when you can do that, it's fun. And when you have to do that, it's a different story. Like, I think there's a little of both that happens for me because there's like, I mean, with the Marvel stuff, for example, like they don't explain the time travel thoroughly. And that leaves a lot of wiggle room for speculation Mm -hmm. and what kind of happens behind the scenes and what happens between scenes and all of that fun stuff. For me, what I'll kind of tell myself is, you know, if, if the story is fun and I like the characters, um, then I'm going to be thinking about it after the movie's over. I'm going to be thinking about it, you know, while I'm waiting to see the next one or the next episode or whatnot. Yeah. I'll give them the benefit of headcanoning or patching the plot holes or whatever, uh, because I really like this universe that they've laid the groundwork for. I like, you know, that's why, you know, Marvel is such a big fascination for me because they do have this very nice expansive universe with tons of characters all interconnected and more or less they try to stay stick to the same ground rules between movies and everything so it's a it's a nice big sandbox to play in and if i'm wrong or whatnot of about you know something that i've come up with between projects 
I'm pretty quick to adjust headcanon on that. I'm not not dying on any of those hills, obviously. But in terms of when I feel like they haven't done a great job storytelling, that's almost where my brain just forgets about it after it's done. I'm not, I'm not thinking about it that much. I don't yeah. think of ways to fix the little plot holes or, you know, ways to, to what these characters might be doing in between scenes. Um, right. I just don't give it a whole lot of thought. So if right. if you've done a bad job storytelling, I'm just my my brain isn't really active on that piece of media anymore. So I'm not I'm not doing a whole lot of that for for stories that I don't love. Right, right. No, I completely understand that. And yeah, if it's something that's like that where I'm forgetting about it after it's done, then yeah, mm. filling in blanks between episodes and movies and stuff like that. That I think is a hallmark of good storytelling because that means that you're thinking about it after the media has been consumed. Exactly. It's really captured you. You're really engaged. So yeah, it's, yeah. It, you, you almost theories, don't want to leave, right? Yeah. I, I consider fan theories and my personal headcanoning of things to be a little bit different, different things in my mind. And for me, when I'm thinking of something that I consider as a fan theory of my own, I'm creating a separate story that goes along with that to maybe explain something that I've seen or what might be coming. Whereas when I'm filling in the blanks for headcanon, that means that the story's been told and there was something that didn't sit just quite right with me. So I filled in the blanks with something to make it make more sense. I don't know if there's much of a distinction there, but that's that's kind of where I it's where a, I it's put a fair it. distinction. I kind of think of there's because there's a lot of different definitions people seem to have for like what's a fan theory versus what's headcanon versus you know what's fan fiction. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you write it down, your headcanon kind of becomes fan fiction, but until you put it on the page, then it's just a headcanon or you know, when I talk about it it might be a theory or you know if it's literally just in your head and never escapes then it's headcanon. I don't know what the where the line needs to be, but it is kind of all the same idea for me where I try not to share a fan theory unless I think that it could be going on in the background or would fit into the universe as it's been presented. If there's any kind of continuity break from what we actually saw on screen, then it's not as it's not a fun headcanon for me. So I won't I won't chase that down, you know, in my head even. I try not to let myself even develop headcanon unless it would be worthy of being a you know a full-fledged fanfic or fan theory or you know a script that you could present to marvel to make you know your next episode of loki or whatever so and that's the other thing i mean i have i haven't actually written anything in years but like i have that you know writer's spirit or whatever you know i'm a kid in the back of my head is always you know daydreaming about going and (laughs) working for disney someday or whatever and the thoughts that i have that i share with other people is almost always the thoughts that i would be like i would love to be in a writer's room and share these these ideas with somebody that can actually do something with them. So that's kind of where I get, those are the ones I get the most excited about. And I'll usually throw up a TikTok about it because like, right. I just want somebody else to hear this idea. Tell me if it's garbage. Tell me if it's cool. Mostly seems like people think they're garbage. But maybe well, I'm it, it's always, and, and this is actually something that we have on the list to talk about later today, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about how it's always the, the people who are negative about a thing who seem to be the most vocal about it, which is odd to me because I've always been the most vocal about the things that I love. Hence this show. I love sci-fi. So I'm like, I'm going to create a sci-fi podcast where I just talk about sci-fi. As far as the difference between fan fiction and fan theories, I think in the age of social media and the 
ability to literally broadcast yourself as opposed to, you know, back in the day, if you wanted to write a fan fiction, you had to write it and somehow distribute that. And even in the early days of the internet, then you could put it out on the internet. But that didn't mean that anybody other than maybe the two people you gave the link to would ever see it. That would still be a fan theory to me, even if it was written out but not presented to anybody, basically. But whereas if you create a full-fledged fan theory, including a story, not just a—I think that's the other difference, too, is like a theory, for me, is just like one piece of something. It's just like, I think this this little thing here happened, and that's it. That's a fair distinction, yeah. The fan fiction definitely needs to be more of a— like I did a whole, I would maybe call it fan fiction of how Steve Rogers returns all of the Infinity Stones. Yes. And I did it in TikTok form. I didn't write it down anywhere, but I have like a rough actual thought of, you know, there's a couple different versions I, of that I, would, I would read head, that. But if you ever did write it, I, I would definitely read it. I'll tell you that right now. But yes, I remember that series. <laughs> it was fantastic. And the, I would consider that to be fan fiction, even though it was not written uh, on paper, it was presented. You, you presented a story, not just one little piece of a story, but a full, you know, right. essentially yeah, full-fledged story. I like that. Um, broadcasted, to, so. to, to be fan fiction, it does have to have more, like more or less, some semblance of a plot and some stakes, right? You know, the the fan theory can just be what's up with this thing in this drawer. Uh, <laughs> you know, was that Steve's <laughs> compass in that drawer? And that doesn't really have any kind of story to it necessarily, unless you really delve into how did Steve's compass get into that drawer in the TVA? And I don't think... Yeah, if you um, wrote a story based on how that particular item ended up in that particular place, that would definitely be a fan fiction. Just stating, I think that's his compass, that's a fan theory. That's more of a theory, yeah. So I, I yeah, no, we, I like that. We've a, done that's it. A, that's a totally fair distinction. We, we've done it. We've, uh, we've, we've defined the terminology. We've cracked the code. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. We've, we've done it. <laughs> so moving back to the the topic at hand, obviously we've talked a little bit about time travel in the Marvel universe, um, which I definitely consider to be sci-fi. Too, a lot of people separate comic book movies and things from science fiction, and I think that there's enough science based activity. I mean, when you look at you know Tony Stark's technology and oh, all that stuff, you definitely have enough science to consider it sci-fi. And then you add time even, travel to even the mix. The magic. Even the magic in the Marvel universe this is one of my favorite things about the MCU is that even the, the magic in that universe is science based. You know, the first Doctor Strange movie kind of breaks down how sorcery is basically just cosmic math. Right. There's this, yeah. like we can tap into dimensional energy. And the ancient one has a line about how, like, well, if it offends your modern sensibilities, you can call it a program, but it's magic. I kind of think of all of the magic that we see in, in the Marvel universe as just advanced science, which even Jane Foster calls that out too. It's it basically, you know, as guardians, advanced alien civilization, they just have, yeah. it looks like magic. We know it's science. Yeah. Thor calls them the same thing. It's definitely in the sci-fi umbrella. Totally. Yeah, exactly. The, 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 the rainbow road, uh, you know, it's just nine scene Rosenbridge, right? Okay. We're, we're good to go. You know, boom, there you go. science. Yeah. You know, it's, they're, they're not gods. They're just, Alien races, you know, and so yeah, they they explain away a lot of what we would typically have considered magic in the in the olden days to to scientific principles that we just don't have the ability to harness yet. Potential is in theory there. However, 
time travel is a kind of unique subject within that because there are so many people who believe that it is never actually going to be possible in any way, shape, or form. I mean, other than the, you know, potential loophole of, you know, some sort of cryogenic freezing or stasis or something where you freeze yourself for a period of time and wake up in the future and it's like, well, yeah, it would seem kind of like time travel to you, but that's yeah, not really it's, time it's travel. It's a one-directional thing and, and the same thing kind of happens with, um, you know, relativity and, you know, uh, traveling not at the speed of light, but even anywhere near the speed of light. Uh, even traveling in orbit, like, you know, there's a pair of twins, I think, that one was on Earth and the other was in orbit, and now their body clocks are a couple minutes out of sync or something like that. And, yeah, it's time travel, but it's not what we're talking about, is it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, we had the discussion, um, uh, Damien and I, about, you know, he didn't consider anything with time travel to be sci-fi because he was more in the camp of, for sci-fi, it has to be based on actual scientific principles that could theoretically be possible, whether we're there yet or not. And I was firmly in the other camp of, no, no, if, if you explain the time travel scientifically, whether it made up complete made up science or whether it's based in any hint of reality, then you're dealing with sci-fi. Um, that's the whole point of the fi, the fiction part is right, the, the science right. just it's just a little teaser so i think the time travel in the mcu time travel and things like back to the future uh, even even bill and ted's excellent adventure there was some tech there whether it was explained sure. or not necessarily is not the the issue it's whether or not it was it tech based or was it magic based or did it just happen um, you know that type of thing that's what i think makes the difference between whether it's sci-fi or not so i definitely think that most time travel stories because they usually try to put some sort of scientific explanation behind it. Some try to go into more depth as far as the explanation. Some just say, he built the machine and it did it. You know what? Hey, that's fine too. As long as you, as long as the rest of the story is good, I'm not going to worry too much about the how until you force me to think about that. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think even, even with stuff like Outlander, where, you know, my ancient aliens headcanon aside, you have the element of like, what is the stakes? What is the outcome and the consequence? of this time travel mm -hmm. so they have that conversation so much in that show that like it's it's just almost page for page out of a star trek episode mm -hmm. where you know can we change this you know what happens if we try to change this you know can you know they, they talk about the grandfather paradox we can't kill off uh jack randall because my future husband is is potentially going to not be born so i think those elements whether they explain the science behind it or not they're having a scientific discussion of like cause and consequence the the ethical fallout of the situation they find themselves in and those those are really the the meat and potatoes of good sci-fi stories to me is you know if you take some rule about our society or about the the physics that we live in or, or the scientific limitations that we have right now if you just you know tweak this or remove this a little bit how do the people react right. and i think those are the best stories is when it tells a good story of how the people would respond to this change in circumstances so that's i guess i have a low bar to clear for for sci-fi maybe but it's you know i love sci-fi and i want to let everybody in so. exactly no i i completely agree with you yeah if like i said if it's got the slightest hint of any kind of advanced technology or using current technology in a different way that creates the ability to do something that we can't currently do, then it's sci-fi to me. 
And it might be also fantasy, might be also mystery, might be also drama. You know, it can be many things. Um, my first guest on the show was a romance author who dipped her toe into uh, sci-fi quite spectacularly by making a fantastic series that was very much sci-fi but also kept the romantic elements from her original primary line of, of writing. So it was really, really well-told sci-fi story that also included really well-told romantic relationships, which is something that, as, as we discussed on that episode, is can be rare. Sometimes when you go into that sci-fi realm, they kind of forget about that stuff. You, know, you might have a couple, but yeah. do you actually see yeah. the romance there's, behind I mean, that couple? There's only so much focus you can have in any given story. Again, with Outlander, it is, you know, probably more in the romance category but we have that element of like i think pretty good sci-fi discussion at least there's some there's some fun things for me to think about in there aside from what's happening with the characters which is awesome in its own right so yeah there's there's room for more than one genre we kind of touched on that at the beginning here you know there's there's room for so much overlap in those genres it's not it's not fair to peg you know any any story into one of those categories and say that it, it can't be the other so uh yeah i like i like the idea that there's a little of this and a little of that and just about everything and you can you can probably lean it one direction or the other like is it more sci-fi is it more romance that's fine saying like you know it doesn't belong on the sci-fi shelf that uh, seems like a stretch yeah ex exactly and that's and that's basically where we landed is that no this is definitely sci-fi just because it includes these other elements doesn't make it less sci-fi right which shows or movies or books tv whatever uh media you've consumed do you think has done time travel the best and that can be overall it can be whether it's the way they explain it or the way that it's done as far as like what's done in the time travel or just storytelling in general yeah so it's it's tough I've, I've thought about that a lot and there's so many different criteria for it but at the end of the day i do just love the stories that come out of that trope in general so i'm gonna just go back to like my old standby back to the future is such a fun story yep. and the Time travel is obviously a huge, crucial element, but at the end of the day, it's like this kid's learning about his parents and getting to know his father in a way that he didn't know. His dad was a science fiction writer. He didn't even know that about him. And like, you get mm -hmm. to, you know, we've all kind of had those moments where we fantasize about, you know, being able to see our, our parents back when they were our age, you know, right. get that lecture all the time. You know, when I was your age, it was this and this. And we always know that they're kind of full of it, but then you know, Marty McFly gets to go back and see it. And that's that's a beautiful moment when he gets to, you know, see his mom being a total hypocrite and sitting in a car drinking and smoking. And, you know, we've all had those <laughs> moments where we know our parents are a little full of it, but, you know, he gets to go and see it. And then there's stakes of the stakes aren't unraveling the fabric of the universe, even though Doc says that could happen. The real stakes are personal. It's his parents. Yeah. It's his own existence that's on the line. Yeah. I think that's a great usage of, of the trope. And it also, like, if you look at the trilogy as a whole, it's my favorite version of time travel where you, you can go back in and insert Marty in the second movie and you can say, oh, he was there up in the rafters the whole time. We just didn't see it because it wasn't on camera. We're not uh, omniscient as as an audience. So there's there's always stuff that you can insert off screen or behind the, you know, you know, across the world that was also happening at the same time. Right that makes it a nice little bow and it's it, a loop or, or whatever you want to call it, that it always happened this way. We just didn't know it. That's my favorite. I, that's why I do the whole, you know, when it comes to um, uh, Steve Rogers going back in time at the end of Endgame, mm -hmm. I love the idea that he went and lived with Peggy 
in the main timeline secretly and you didn't disrupt the fabric of time because causally you can't. If he did, that's a branch. If he changes anything, that's another branch in reality. You know, theoretically, there's infinite branches where he did change things, but the one that we're in <laughs> is the one where everything stayed the same. So, so yeah, it's it's uh, that's kind of my favorite trope of the idea of just being able to go back and, and live live through it as if nothing happened. You're not really changing anything. You're actually the cause of the way things already are. It's a whole bootstraps paradox, if you will, but. Mm -hmm. It's uh, that one. That's a lot of fun for me when you can just when uh, when the characters realize that is the is the best part of the story for me when they when they come to the conclusion that, oh, I thought that I went back to do this thing. But it turns out that, you know, I obviously had to have done it the entire time or I would never have gone back to do it in the first place or the reverse. When you look at like the original H.G. Wells' time machine, the fact that he went back in time specifically to do the one thing and he could not do that thing because that was the thing he went back to do. Because if he exactly, did the thing, it was his never motivation. Exactly. So you take away the, the source of your motivation and you never time travel and then again it becomes a whole thing. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a version yeah, of the grandfather it's, it's, paradox, but it's just instead of actually creating your non-existence, you're creating your non-motivation to create the time travel in the first place, which is why I like Back to the Future. He didn't go back to do a specific thing. He went back essentially on accident <laughs> the first time. Yeah, that's another one of my favorite parts of that movie. He's not going back to change the past. That's another thing I liked about Endgame was they're not going back to change the past. They're not trying to undo the snap. They're just trying to borrow some stuff from the past to do a thing in the in the present. There's this whole conversation in that movie of like, you know, it's not like Back to the Future. It's not like uh, Time Cop. It's not like all these other movies. And of course, they're using all of the tropes from the, each of those movies. So it's, you know, a branched timeline. They, they cover that in Back to the Future too. Time heists, I don't know if they originated with Time Cop, but, you know, in Time Cop, you go back in time, you steal gold that doesn't exist now, and you fund your political campaign or whatever. You know, so, like, I don't, I don't know that there is a single original time travel concept that somebody hasn't touched on already, and they... they I think it was a little tongue-in-cheek moment in that movie of like, oh, that's not how time travel works. Even though, you know, the Hulk just accidentally turned Scott Lang into a baby. So, like, he clearly is not a reliable <laughs> expert on this. So he doesn't quite know what he's talking about. The Ancient One has to educate him on it a little bit later, too. So it's I liked that they have this little bit of mystery around it so that it's not too hard and fast with the rules. Nobody really understands that there's this whole other entity the tva that polices it and i did you know, love they, how they wrapped it up in in loki in just literally one sentence and she said, the avengers are doing what they were always supposed to do like exactly th yeah that oh, was there it is okay part of the plan <laughs> all right <laughs> that's that's all i needed to hear we're good to go one of my only issues with your uh, wait when you had first presented the theory on tiktok about um steve going back and just living his life um throughout the years a lot of the complaints were like there's no way that steve rogers of all people could sit back and let these other things happen and you that's just brought up an objection yes you just brought up a very uh salient point to that that compass in the drawer maybe that was one time when steve couldn't hold himself back tried to go do something and the tv said nope you're not allowed to do that yeah and, I mean, <laughs> so maybe he, he tried and then he realized like oh i'm not going to be able to do these changes so he went in and lived his life yeah i like the idea that he had that he tried 
uh, and maybe got stopped by, by the TVA, or maybe he has one of those aha moments, like you said, like you realize that you were the cause of, of this the whole time. You know, maybe he goes to try to save JFK from Bucky, but he ends up saving Jackie. You know, the bullet was going to hit her or something like, you know, one of those little things where he's, he, he realizes in that moment that this was always going to happen. This is how it's going to happen. And, and he just needs to camp out and do what he can. And, you know, that, that realization that he can't change the future in this timeline, at least, is a big part of my my headcanon for Steve or my my fan theory for Steve or my fan fiction for Steve or whatever we decided yeah. that is. <laughs> I also think it is, uh, you know, the, the same complaint as far as, oh, well, Steve Rogers couldn't sit back and let this happen. Well, the same thing applies to the other side of it is Steve Rogers would know that by interfering, he could be causing more problems than he would be fixing. So the the fact that he is too disciplined to let something bad happen if he's able to stop it is also the same discipline that would keep him from interfering with historical events he knows to have happened in that timeline that he is trying to preserve. The whole point of yeah. him going back and delivering these items back to their respective timelines was to preserve their timeline. And so, yeah, to, to clip all those branches and make sure that they didn't interfere with the fabric of reality, um, which was, you know, that was what Thanos had done. That was what they were trying to, to combat in the first place. So again, I think Steve would stay on mission with that a lot of people bring up bucky as the reason like he you know he would have to make an exception for bucky or he would have to make an exception for cleaning hydra out of shield or something like that and i think bucky is probably the main sticking point it's for a lot strongest. of people is that like it's definitely the strongest strong argument there. and that would if anything would create that timeline that uh, the tva had to snip and ended up with a compass in a drawer i, I think it would be exactly bucky. It and would it's be all something to do with bucky packaged the way that they've got it like yeah maybe and now that the TVA is falling apart or whatever's going on there at the end of Loki, there is a reality that's free to branch off where, you know, Steve saves Bucky. And uh, that's where we start to get into the branching realities thing. It just gets so huge. And, and you know, obviously, you know, infinite people want to debate the definition of infinite here. But I think in terms of the storytelling trope, like the agreed upon understanding is like, you know, anything can happen and there's a reality for where anything might happen. You know, that's not the science of it. That's not the even people who speculate on, you know, quantum uh, field theory and all of that stuff won't, won't even agree that branching realities are necessarily the absolute truth you know that's just a, that's just a theory and even if it does happen you know doesn't necessarily mean every time you make a decision it's only every time a quantum particle is measured and that branches reality so like you know it's when people get really hung up on the math and the science of it i'm like this again this is the fiction part of science fiction we know that it right. doesn't really add up <laughs> we gotta stick to it here when you get to that infinite realities thing like that's where i always it the stakes fall apart for me because you don't have, if you've got infinite versions of Steve Rogers and Peggy's and infinite Bucky's and like, who cares at that point? Like, you know, one of them's happy. One of them's, you know, being tortured. You know, there's infinite versions of Steve that are living with Peggy. There's infinite versions of Steve that saved Bucky. And, and, you know, why do we care at that point? So I like the idea of sticking to this one timeline because it's like ours or whatever. Right. When you have those infinitely branching timelines, that's, it's a cool concept and we get a lot of those what ifs. The variants can be fun, but like I need to be somehow made to care about these variants, especially the more of them we get. We 
need a reason to be committed to that version of that character. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I completely understand. Yeah. That's, I think the, you know, with comics, because I mean, they are drawing from the comics. This has been done and this isn't something that the MCU originated with even these characters. I think they're doing a very good job so far. What we've seen thus far with, with Loki and the, with the What If series, we've seen a little bit of of that crossover. And I think the What Ifs, are a great way to tell just short little stories of here's the thing that could potentially happen. And I, I like the way they tied it together into an overall arc, and, you know, I thought it was well done. So I think they did a good job with yeah. that as far as how they chose to introduce that. Yeah, having the, the Watcher kind of be our point of view character was a mm-hmm. lot of fun because he is outside of that main timeline in the first place. He's just watching all of these realities unfold, and he has a different perspective on it and different rules than we would have, and you kind of get into his head a little bit, and again, you sort of have this understanding that it's just there's infinite realities, and he's just sort of witnessing them all. He's watching our stories. He has obviously a a different capacity to understand the correlation between everything. So he becomes our kind of self-insert and why we appreciate these versions of the characters more than the ones that we don't see because basically they're the ones on screen at the end of the day i you know the ones that we get to see are the ones we're going to care about but you know honestly that and that's what's funny about that is that's not even really that's not even time travel that's that's the the multiverse branching which which is kind of adjacent but they give it a whole different category of reality is constantly branching there's all of these universes regardless of whether you travel through time and i'm not even certain that the avengers going back in time in endgame is a multiverse jump or because again i think they're still going back into their own timeline because it's right. time travel it's not multiversal travel but yeah. you know it's there's also you know, the quantum realm and it's all messy there's a lot of different versions of how those universes are interlinked so it's more multiversal shenanigans and less time foolery as i like to call it (laughs) that's a fantastic word for it i I do enjoy that um like i said you put time in front of anything it makes it sound cooler so right (laughs) time highs time foolery yes absolutely lord you touched on the doctor (laughs) (laughs) oh that's definitely a, a a good idea i will say that i love the mechanics of time travel in Doctor Who for one specific reason more than any other time travel. Well, not necessarily any other because there, there are a couple that have also gotten around this, but most time travel stories don't seem to take into account the relative position of the Earth in space at different times. <laughs> yep. If you were you to actually get into a machine. time machine and go back in time even just a little bit, you were going to be minutes. in a completely okay. different space. You could be out in the middle of outer space. You could be in an asteroid. You, you don't know where you're going to be. With yeah. the TARDIS, you have a time and space machine where you are traveling in space and time. It makes the other yeah. examples are things like Quantum Leap and uh, the first butterfly effect, which is the only one that I saw. You're physically not traveling in time. Your consciousness is traveling back in time to a previous version of yourself. Um, they did that also in uh, Days of Future Past, Days which Future was Past another is a great example of that version. I like that one too, because again, you're sort of, you're, you're not physically going anywhere. It's more of a spirit quest, if you will. Yeah. Now, yeah. In, your future in future past you're going it's going breaking, back yeah they're breaking my my rule of like going back to try to change something i don't i don't that's 
to me, is probably the most boring use of the time travel trope is like, we'll go back in time and fix it or, or undo it or, 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 you know, and that that usually doesn't work for me. They kind of did that in the Tomorrow War. That wasn't like the main premise. I'm not sure if you saw that one, but it was on Amazon and they have. Yeah, they have I, like did. A, I did watch that. They have a hours of my life. I won't get back. But yeah, I saw it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like. There's parts of it that were that were fun. That's the only reason I made it through the whole movie was was it was it was again it was a good story and in terms of like giving us a plot device to tell this story, it was fine. I let it I let it go for the most part. But when at the end of the day you're having the conversation about like why don't we just go back and undo it, and they say well we can't. It, we can only go to this one point in time. Meanwhile, they're having the conversation right. in the past where where they could potentially you know undo it. So well, as the doctor uh, said, and they, they end up point in time. So sorry. So <laughs> what, what you can always go back to Doctor Who for anything you, you need for the for time travel. <laughs> oh, fixed point in time. Sorry, can't can't change fixed that point in time. That's yep. a great. Tr- I mean, um, it's again, it's just a it's a MacGuffin of sorts, right? It's just yeah. a, it's a rule you throw out there, but it it patches a lot of holes. For um, for time travel stories again, specifically, absolutely, because otherwise, one of the reasons I love Doctor Who is because they don't try to change things. They're just they're just having adventures. They're they're not trying to change the past. They're trying to fix something, maybe help out how they can in the time. But the the time travel is not their fix all. It's not their means of taking care of business. It's basically just how they got where they are. That's time travel done well, in in my opinion, just because, you know, Back to the Future does it, even the Avengers do it, and Doctor Who kind of treats it similarly. You just, we're here, we're going to do something in this time, we'll go to another time uh, next week and and do something else, but it's not how we're going to fix everything. We're not going to go back and undo things, because you can't. That's, That's one of, that's probably the only rule of time travel that i that i really like to stick to is like no you you can't change you can't just go change it (laughs) i i would mostly agree with you i think there are a couple of exceptions in my book and um, those would be things like for example star trek first contact they went back in time to fix earth from being assimilated by the borg but they were only assimilated by the borg because the borg time traveled first to go back and assimilate earth in the past so they wouldn't have to fight them in the future. So because they were they were time traveling to fix another time traveler's thing, I kind of let it slide. Uh, plus exactly. it's just a fun yeah. movie. So that's always I'm, a I'm great exception. That. When they when you're going back to 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 right the wrongs, you know, Biff Biff takes the almanac and Marty has to get it back from him. Yeah. The Borg are assimilating Earth and the Enterprise crew has to go help Zephram Cochran make first contact. Like, that's great. And again, it kind of fits that earlier trope we talked about where like, oh, maybe that's the way it happened all along. And we just didn't know that. And it kind of still worked without breaking physics. Because as much as I like the fiction side of science fiction, there is a part of my brain that's always going to be like, oh, well, you can't break the physics. <laughs> and, and the one other exception that I would give, and it while it does break the rule, I still just love it from uh, from a storytelling standpoint and I really enjoyed the show overall and I thought it was fantastic with Quantum Leap because the things he was going back and changing were small personal things they weren't huge major historical events that affected yes. many people's lives he was essentially going back uh, essentially at random he wasn't going back to fix a specific thing he didn't choose I'm going to go back and do this like we talked about before taking yeah. away the motivation it was just a you're here now and here's the thing that went wrong maybe this is and it was just kind of and it was more of a a theory more than anything else like well maybe the machine or whatever sent you here to do this thing because this bad thing is going to happen to this person and maybe you can prevent that while you're here yeah and because i haven't revisited in a really long time i watched that as a kid and one of the things i 
think made that show work is that again he's not in his own body he's just sort of inhabiting someone else's mm-hmm. and then he's got MacGuffin of the, the, the time travel the, buddy yeah with, uh, with the supercomputer in the background doing all the calculations of you know what's what's going to create a paradox or what's going to break reality and you know here's the per- you know they you, never really find out change what's and, sending him yeah that Sorry. was uh, yeah yeah they're, they're basically telling you here's what you can change without completely destroying reality exactly you're it, right so i, I enjoyed no, I, that uh, it was a fun show i, I would say it's, it's worth a revisit because it, it still it does it does actually hold up fairly well as far as the uh the topics that they they tackle they actually were pretty progressive for tv uh, back in those days there were a few episodes that dealt with uh, racial inequalities and things like that that where he was in a situation where it's like okay you can't fix you're in a situation where you 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 want to fix everything. You want to like change history in a big bad way. Right. But that's not what what you're there for. You're there just to do this one thing for this one person. And as sad as it is, the rest of history has to catch up on its own. And exactly. that. So I appreciated that they did that. And it, like I said, I think it holds up pretty well. The ending that just made me mad. I All right. Know. Well, no spoilers on that one. I'll probably I, have to give it a rewatch. That does touch on the something I don't think we talked about very much, which is that idea of like little ripples or fine you know like little mm-hmm. little small changes can be okay and they touched on that on loki a little bit they touched on that in agents of shield and i like that idea that time is mostly kind of self-correcting it'll it'll sort of work around small changes but big stuff you can't really you can't really work with and you know because again like you know i think in principle when we look at the you know the physics of it and try to think about it logically you know you can't change anything because there's a butterfly effect and all yeah. of that the idea that time isn't as simple as that and that we apply these logical rules to it that we think would be the natural rules of things but the idea that you can again just sci-fi fiction it in that's uh, not quite it's not quite that bad <laughs> you, can almost, you can almost just hand wave away some of it and i i let i let that go sometimes just because it's like okay that allows us to play around in the past and not have to worry about oh no they're gonna change something that mustn't be changed like nah, you, can, you can get some wiggle room uh, i like that element of of a lot of this, of time travel stories kind of like again even an outlander like there's you know she introduces medicine early and a couple of pieces of information that probably shouldn't have been shared at the time but it mostly worked itself out (laughs) i like how they explain that away in um star trek 4 the voyage home where they go back and really the only change they make is instead of these two whales getting killed by whalers they they just disappear they just disappear and then they get transported to the future where they are then deposited and prevent an alien race that really likes whales from destroying the earth Um, (laughs) which you know okay sure i think that's a great example (laughs) of of the other big exception that i probably make is when when it's not taking itself too seriously I will forgive so much uh, time travel nonsense. Deadpool at the end of, you know, he's just going back. I'm cleaning yep. up the timeline. <laughs> just cleaning it's, up the timeline, yes. <laughs> for comedic effect, Bill and Ted is another great example. Like, I know we're not meant to take this too seriously. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, it's a comedy, and we're just, you know, it's a this is just a plot device. I can really disconnect from overthinking it. Whereas with you know if they if they're taking themselves really seriously and doing it poorly then I'm gonna I'm gonna b- bump up against it a lot more. Yeah. Example of you know that that was a that was just a fun ride and I don't think I don't think any of them were taking themselves very seriously in that movie. There was there was a behind the scenes where um, George Takei 
uh, said that he's looking through this window. You know, they're just walking around the streets uh, of you know modern day San Francisco or San Diego. Where are they in that one? San Francisco. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's but, San Francisco uh, he's looking through the through future home of Starfleet headquarters. Day, <laughs> and there's this woman in the window that just flashed George Takei, and he, the, you can see it on the final cut. Like he's just like he looks through a window and he turns away and he's just laughing. He gives the formula for transparent aluminum to this guy and. You know, they bring it up. They're like, how do you know? How did you, you know, you can't give this guy this thing. And his answer was like, how do we know he didn't invent it? Well, he did now, evidently. (laughs) So, (laughs) So, you know, it it was a throwaway line to cover a potential plot hole. And I'm usually okay with it when they do that. You know, when it's just one of those things. If they put some effort into it, yeah, I'm usually okay with it. They'll they'll throw, you know, any kind of little, like, oh, you know, that's the, the, the TARDIS can absorb the paradox. You know, <laughs> that yeah. kind of thing is fine. And again, if it's it's always if if I really love the story and the characters, uh, you know, I'll take that as perfectly reasonable explanation for that plot hole. Or if the if I love the characters and the story, I will even, you know, like we talked about earlier, I'll fill in the plot hole myself if I need to, because I just, you know, I just want this story to work because I like it. So. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, time travel shenanigans that happen in the Star Trek universe, talking about, you know, Star Trek Four, talking about uh, First Contact, even this new season of Picard, uh, which just started. And I, I, need, so to, I need to so finish bad. Discovery. So I started, I started the first season of Discovery, loving it. I got to get through the, there's two or three seasons up for Four. Discovery so far. They're four on, seasons they're, Yeah, see, the season four and season finale, I think, is either this week or next week. Okay, so that and then, yeah, I want to get into Picard because we, we finally have Paramount Plus because nice. we got we got a subscription for the kids for all the Nickelodeon content that's yep. on there for Christmas. And then I started the watch uh, Prodigy, Star Trek Prodigy, fantastic show. For, oh, for is it? Too. That's yeah, the absolutely fantastic. One, right? Yeah, that's the the animated one for animated, kids because yeah. they also have the uh, lower decks, which is animated but geared towards adults. It's more like a Family Guy, um, Rick and Morty type situation oh, as opposed yeah, yeah, to the yeah, the type of I've, humor I've, that's I've in put it. An episode of that on too. Yeah, it's a fun show, especially for if you are into the Star Trek lore, if you're into the history of it, if you've seen original series and the Next Gen Voyager, all that. Lower Decks is a really really fun show to watch because you've got so many little. Easter eggs and the humor is there and it's not too raunchy. It's not too far onto the raunchy side to be on, you know, like full on like Rick and Morty scale. Um, I think one of my favorite works that involves time travel is um, Timeline itself. Not the movie. The movie was awful. Don't watch it. Don't ever watch it. If you haven't seen it, save yourself that two hours. You will you will hate yourself for having wasted it. But the novel was absolutely fantastic uh, by Michael Crichton. And it touches on one of the things that you pointed out, that <clears throat> even though they end up going back in time, it turns out that they had always been there. No, I know. I know timeline. I love. It's one of my favorite books, actually. The um, yeah, the changes to the movie were disappointing. As, I'll never get over introducing a character that speaks French just to kill him off, and then not having the character that spoke French in the books speak French. Anyway, um, <laughs> and I'll find things to like about it. That's the other part that I've like. Probably when timeline first came out, I wasn't like this, but nowadays I'm just tired of hating things. I'll find something to like about it. You know, there there was. Some good sword play in that one, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, there, there was, um, you know, yeah, it had its moments. I've done kind of the same thing, too. It's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm re-watching this. I know the stuff I don't like already. Let's look for the things that I do like. And so I, I feel you on that one because I, I do the same thing sometimes, too. Now, when I go back, that kind of brings us into the secondary 
topic of the show here, what you have been spending your time doing. I want to give you an opportunity to kind of uh, promote what you do on the on the TikTok because, you know, you don't just talk time travel. You talk about a lot of different topics and you have some kind of series going on. Uh, yeah. So lately I've been getting back into this little villain rating system that I put together for it's not a hard and fast set of rules or, or, or something that I think can be universally applied, but it's mm-hmm. basically just me wondering, hey, uh, I like these villains and I don't like these other villains so much. Uh, why is that? And when somebody says, hey, this is a crap villain or this is a really great villain, you know, what do we mean by that? And so I just had to break down like I have like five bullet points that I'm like, you know, these are basically just villain tropes that I like. If they hit them, this is probably a good villain for me. And so, yeah, I go through and just like to right now I'm doing all the Batman villains from the movies, at least. And um, it's a lot of fun because people with all things on TikTok, you know, any kind of controversial opinion will will get a lot of response. (laughs) But, you know, it is what it is. It's my opinion. I try to present it as such. But uh, yeah, that's that's one of the, the ones I'm spending a lot of time on lately. Obviously, I love to talk about the wheel of time we don't really talk about that but that book series is my favorite books of all time it's adjacent to what we're talking about you know there's no direct time travel in there um, but they do deal with like the world of dreams which has uh, a sort of a time dilation effect you spend you know some certain amount of time in the dream it's a different amount of time in reality there's a little bit of a multiversal effect in there where you know you can kind of go through these portal stones and you're in slightly different realities just reflections of of our world so it's definitely really great series highly recommend checking it out if you haven't the series on amazon is a lot of fun it's you know it's not a perfect adaptation of the novels but i I love talking about the things that they got right and the changes that they made that might be a little bit ruffle some feathers maybe but uh i i tend to like them and so yeah i'll talk about that i'll talk about star wars marvel all of all of the um kind of the the big nerd fandoms uh probably marvel and star wars and wheel of time and then now lately getting more into the batman territory on my tiktok account but uh yeah if you like any of that stuff got a lot of content up there for, for that yeah i do love the villain ratings uh they're fun to watch uh I almost always disagree, at least on some level, with a little bit, which is perfectly normal because there's sometimes like, I'm like, this is the best villain ever. And you're like, but they don't hit this point. I'm like, but I could find a reason to make them hit that point. And, you know, it's yeah, that's kind that's of that's the, the fun part about it. Yeah, that's the that's the thing is it's it's all about like the story beats that it hits for me when I'm watching it. And sometimes it's different on mm-hmm. the most recent watch of a movie than than it was the first time I saw it. And a couple of them I've gone back and re-rated them when I thought about it some more. Like the last category is presentation, right? You know, mm-hmm. Megamind famously says, you know, like you're not a, you're not a super villain. What's the difference? Presentation. He's got his <laughs> all his theatrics. So I went back and I re-rated that category used to be called, you know, theme music. And it's not necessarily music that does that for me. There's other things that can kind of yeah. scratch that itch for me. So I just kind of broadened it to presentation. So there's a couple of villains I could probably go back and revisit and say, yeah, it does, you know, I could give them the benefit of the doubt where I... I, I've given other villains since, and if I rewatch something, I, I'm a huge sucker for recency bias. So if I just watched a movie and I really liked the portrayal, then I'll be thinking about it. Especially since I've kind of come up with this little rating scheme, uh, I'll rewatch a movie now, or you know, I just saw the Batman in theaters. So like, as I'm watching the movie real time, I'm thinking of these things in my head of like, oh, well, this is a good villain, <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
So yeah, spoilers for upcoming ratings, I guess. But yeah, I liked I liked the villains and the, the Batman. I've got yeah, a chance there's, to there's see that one yet, so uh, plug my ears for discussion on oh, all of right. those. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. I really enjoy your your series, especially the uh, the villain ratings. One of my favorites. The Wheel of Time stuff. I tend to. Uh, skip over when you're talking about the show only because I haven't watched, had a chance to watch yet. So I don't want to get any spoilers there. So I'm kind of like, Oh no, no, I need to need to skip that. Oh, yeah, but it's enough. like, I'll go back later on. I do the same thing. Like anytime something new comes out that I haven't gotten a chance to watch, like there's a lot of media that I will scroll past on Instagram or TikTok or whatever I happen to be on if, because people love to, uh, to post stuff right away and that's totally their right to do so but it's also my right to like try to avoid it and that's that's what i do (laughs) so that's why i try to like and then i'll go back when you know after i've seen a thing i'll like go back to especially the accounts that i know like okay i know i trust this person's opinion on things i want to check that out if it's a thing that i'm on the fence about watching i might risk the spoilers to see if the people I trust are giving it good reviews and ratings and stuff like that. Absolutely. Uh, A lot of one thing that I don't do that I probably could try to do a little bit more of is like spoiler free reviews and just like thoughts on things before I go into spoiler territory on things. Cause I see a lot of those where like, you know, straw hats really good about this. Uh, Jay Stoops is really good about doing like a spoiler free review of a movie before they do a spoiler. And that's always good when I, again, when I trust somebody's opinion on something, I can look at that review and think, okay, you know, that's that sounds like it's going to be a good one. The, all of the series on there are pretty much full of spoilers, so I mean, <laughs> steer clear of my channel if you haven't seen any of the content. I don't go into book spoilers for The Wheel of Time. That's kind of a big rule for me. I try not to spoil because, you know, we got a lot of people joining the conversation based on the show. And there's stuff that happens later in the books that, you know, you wouldn't know about yet that I don't want to get into, which I kind of kind of thinking I want to start a secondary account just so I can just talk about the books more because I don't get to talk about the books that much because there's a lot of spoilers in there. Yeah, I would like to. That's another thing that I need more time to do is is read. There's a lot of books on my to be read list that I'm just like, okay. first of all, with my with my ADHD, it's hard to just sit down and, and read. I've got to have music going or something. And even then, I still feel like there's always that nagging sensation at the back of my brain going, you should be doing something else right now. But speaking of, uh, of spoiling things, let's talk about a different way that things can be spoiled. Kind of getting into the, uh, the, the, final, the final topic that we touched on a little bit before. You have it noted as, as fandom positivity. And I kind of took that to mean like the gatekeeping and the, the idea that I, I've said this on this show as well as others before, that no one hates this particular thing more than the fan of this particular thing. That applies especially to Star Wars, Star Trek, a lot of the sci-fi series. Seems that the fans are the harshest critics, and I can understand that, but the way they go about it is often not good. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the term toxic fans uh, has sprung up in recent years, at mm-hmm. least to my knowledge, you know, I haven't hadn't heard it before, you know, the last couple of years, especially since the last couple of star Wars movies came out has been when it's come to my attention the most, because I didn't realize how toxic of a star Wars fan I was until I saw the reaction to the last Jedi's. Especially, I went into that movie thinking like, okay, well, I don't really know what's going to happen. I had 
basically had all of the common complaints about the prequel trilogy mm-hmm. and ruined Star Wars for countless people in my life, probably, with uh, complaining about the, the little things that I didn't like about the, the prequel era. Mm-hmm. And basically brought me zero joy. You know, like I, I noticed when I saw The Force Awakens, really loved it, didn't even really notice that much of a negative reaction to it in the fandom. But when the second movie came out and they, you know, it's pretty deliberate. They're trying to subvert expectations and take the franchise in a new direction. And I thought that was just so refreshing. I, and I, I thought well. that was, we needed that so badly. Then to see how many fans just tore it to shreds, tore actors apart tore each other apart for liking it i was like oh my god this was i like this and of course you know my my wife god bless her she's yeah yeah you were mike (laughs) (laughs) yeah remember how much you hated about star wars Let me play you a recording I made of you uh, mentioning your distaste for Jar Jar Binks here for a moment. And uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I, I agree on a lot of levels and the same same thing applies. I was actually working at a movie theater when episode one came out. And so I got to watch it. I was you know, we did an employee pre-screening the night before the official release. So we got to all like sit down and watch it. And I remember being so, so excited for it. I remember the first, the very first teaser, the very first poster, when the poster came out and it showed Jake Lloyd with the shadow Shadow of Vader Vader on the little hut. And I was just like, I lost my mind. I was just like, this is going to be so amazing. And then I watched it and I was like, oh gosh, why? What what has happened? What have they done? And I I remember I I, I didn't make, I will uh, give myself this credit. I never made any disparaging comments directed at the actors themselves as people. That was a, That's a big thing these days for some reason. Be like, oh, I didn't like this character, so I'm going to trash this actor as a human. It's like, that's wow. it, it's not yeah, their fault terrible. that you didn't like that. And, you know, the fact that Jake Lloyd was bullied so hard after that movie that he left acting altogether and had severe mental health issues. Uh, the same for the, the person under the suit for Jar Jar. He also went through that because there was so yeah. much personal bullying. It's, it's like, calm down, guys. It's okay to not like a character. Like, acceptable. Going after the actor on a personal level because you didn't like the character, that's a whole nother ball of wax that, yeah. And that's where I think... Where he crosses the line into the, that toxic behavior that we talked about. It's it's uh it's harmful. It's like you know I kind of did a little video breakdown because somebody asked me like what's a toxic fan? It's just a person that disagrees with you. I'm like well no it's you're more than welcome to disagree with me. I love having a dialogue and sometimes I'll even change my opinion based on a little bit of uh, pushback from somebody in in a, a productive way. Wait a minute, but, changing your opinion based on new information? What, what is that? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just when when it becomes harmful when you're when you're throwing insults at each other when you're take, trying to take ownership of this thing as if it's yours and no one else's and if yeah. people don't appreciate it the way that you appreciate it and hate the same things about it that you hate about it then uh, then they're not a real fan they don't deserve a seat at the table. They don't have a place in the conversation. That's just, it's heartbreaking because I I hear all these stories of kids who, you know, were my age. I was 14 when the uh, episode one came out and I was just at the age where I don't think I was really forming my own opinions. I was adopting the opinions that I heard from people around, you know, I was I loved that movie the first time I saw it. I absolutely was just the target demographic, you know, like I was was right on, right coming out of my preteen years and just what a ride. And then I heard people start to talk about it and I'm like, Oh, okay. I guess we're not supposed to 
to like this. This is a bad movie. Okay, I'll 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 think the right way so I can still be a Star Wars fan. Luckily, I'm a white dude, and I was at least still allowed to be part of the conversation. <laughs> but you know, maybe not so luckily. You know, like I think that you know, if I had been you know in any of those marginalized groups and and had a a, a little bit clearer picture of the way that the fandom was behaving, I might have uh, snapped out of it sooner. But I, yeah, I feel bad. I, I talked trash about those first three movies for years, and now. Looking back on them, they're they're great. Uh, and you know, going back to my own initial experience with the first one, like I loved it. I don't know why I let anybody convince me otherwise. And they definitely but, had their moments. I mean, yeah, when I first saw episode one, I was disappointed, and that was my initial reaction. I was a little bit older at the time. I think I was uh, 1920 when that came out. I, I don't know, but I I was a huge fan of the original trilogy and specifically of the expanded universe. At that time, canon was so much simpler in Star Wars. When Disney took over, they made canon so much more complex than it needed to be. I remember a time when it was so simple. It was the movies were canon. The mo- well, Okay, so it wasn't quite that simple. The movies and one book, Shadows of the Empire, which if you've never read, highly recommend. Great book. The movies, Shadows of the Empire, and inexplicably the holiday special were canon. That was it. <laughs> Everything else was extended universe. All the novels, all the comics, all the games, everything else, again, with the exception of uh, Shadows of the Empire, because they did make a game out of that, and it had its own soundtrack, and all of that was technically canon as well. Everything else, all the books, all the, all the novels, which is what I was mostly into. Uh, I remember reading a few of those uh, as well, certainly not all of them, but just feeling overwhelmed getting my foot in the door on all of that, because it was a hugely expansive universe underneath the movies you know to your point there were a lot of great stories told in there and i still think those could be their own universe like it's not it's not crazy to have a separate movie universe from the books or the the, you know marvel's a good example because they have a separate movie verse and and comic universe and yeah the continuities are different but it doesn't really seem to bother they have different continuities even within their own comic books i mean right yeah it's one of the reasons i ended up stopping reading comics is that at one point just trying to keep up with the storyline you had to buy several different books each week or month or whatever to yeah, keep up with one storyline. It's not a great way to keep track of a story. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was very difficult and became uh, prohibitively expensive to be able yeah. to to try and keep up with the story. So I ended up kind of ditching the the mainstream comics, and for a long time, all I read was was independent stuff that was individual stories. Yeah, and I think that that kind of getting your foot in on the ground floor is almost the danger of of some of this fandom stuff like Mm -hmm. you know if you've been there since the beginning you know you feel like you've put in your dues and then forget about when they change things but like when new people jump on board a lot of people don't like that it's it's like it's really hard to convince people that like it's okay to come to a fandom late in the game yeah uh marvel's dealing with that a lot right now because there's you know shows on disney plus they're telling a different kind of story a lot of a lot of people jumped on board the marvel train when WandaVision came out, because it was well, different. It wasn't new it was a show. Fresh, it was yeah. It was it was something something shiny and new. And I mean, honestly, really really good. Also, really so I good mean, <laughs> just absolutely great storytelling, great acting, great everything all around. It was absolutely fantastic. And the way they're weaving things together so far, it looks like it's a good transition from their whatever they were considering phase three going into now phase four and we've got it you know they're trying to introduce the whole new big bad for the end of whatever this arc is going to be which is uh, I, i'm interested to see where they're going with it but yeah it, it does feel a little different having been one of the people who 
went and saw Iron Man in the theaters and like kind of got on got on the MCU train right at the very beginning when people do come in new it's easy to want to fall into that trap of like oh well you you haven't seen this then you know you don't get to you you don't get to call yourself a fan and i i catch myself thinking that occasionally and then having to stop myself and going what the hell am i talking about no i don't that's so you, important that's it's so important to have the mental capacity to do that, to self-correct, because that goes into racism, misogyny, any of the systems that we've grown up that we're trying to dismantle that we, you know, we know on paper that they're wrong, but they're they're kind of built into us. And I think, you know, that idea that, you know, I'm a fan, I was a fan first and you don't fully understand this. It's an it's a nice, easy, simple way I think you can approach a lot of self-work like you can you can self-correct on just about anything if you decide to and you and you want to fix something or adapt something about yourself about your way of thinking you can catch yourself in those little moments like because it happens to me too you know like i was at open opening night of iron man and uh, you know half of the rest of the mcu (laughs) and and you know you didn't stand in line all night or whatever and you know but you know how could they? A lot of these, a lot of these people are are kids. They were in diapers when yeah. <laughs> Iron Man one I, came out. Whenever I catch myself <laughs> thinking that, I, I try to think. I'm like, well, when did I? You know, I I consider myself a huge Star Trek fan, but I wasn't alive when the original series aired. I didn't get to watch the original series as it aired. I can't claim that I watched those movies opening night. In fact, a lot of the original series movies, I think the first one that I actually saw in theaters may have been five, which is objectively not one of the better ones. Um, But, you know, so like... I jumped onto the the fandom in the TNG era when my mom was watching it. I was watching it. I was like, oh, hey, I like this. Now let's like I'll go back and watch the other stuff. Now I look at it more as a, an opportunity. If somebody says, hey, I really like this aspect of this thing. And I say, oh, have you have you seen this part of it or this part of it? And they say no. Instead of shutting down and being like, oh, well, then we can't talk. More of I try to take it as an opportunity. I'm like, oh, can I tell you why you should? Can I can will yeah. you give me the opportunity to sell you like, on watching you this? spoilers do i can i because that's always where i get a little lost like i don't know how much to tell you because i don't want to ruin it for you yeah yeah. without without any spoilers but but how can i sell you on on going back and checking this out like um yeah you know that's why i always tell people like if you like even one episode of one show of a thing you are a fan yeah yeah that that's all it takes you you only have to like one aspect of of a thing and you can be a fan of that thing and you can take it as deep or keep it as shallow as you want from that point forward. It, it took a long time for me to realize the privilege that I had without even knowing it. Like, like you said, as a, as a straight, white, cisgendered man, having a lot of opportunities for mistakes that others may not have have gotten and I didn't even know it. Didn't yeah. even know what was happening. <laughs> Recognizing that the privilege that you have exists when you have it. That's I think the important thing. Um, and trying to use it whenever possible f- to help those who don't have it. That's I think the the biggest takeaway if anything that I would that I would want to if I could go back in time, time travel to a younger version <laughs> of myself and tell them, "Listen, you don't even realize how good you have it right now. You're complaining and moaning about these things here and while those things are happening and they suck." Take Take advantage of the opportunities you do have to help out these people. I think if everybody had that opportunity, the world would be a, a much better place. Yeah. There's a great opportunities for relationships and friendships between fans that disagree about things. Like I, I think one of the examples I love to use is like Iron Man two opening weekend. We first saw our, our, our glimpse of, of uh, Mjolnir for the first time at the mm-hmm. post credit scene. Uh, I was, I was super excited. I thought that was great. 
you know, oh my God, I know what's coming. Like we're this universe is just going to bust wide open. I was so excited. And this guy, maybe a few years younger than me, a couple rows ahead, we're all shuffling out of the theater. I overheard him. No, I didn't even overhear him. Like I was talking to my wife about, you know, that's Mjolnir, that's Thor's hammer. And he kind of just like chimed in a little bit. He's like, oh yeah, you know, like I thought they might go with the newer version, the, um, the Ultimates version. And uh, but he didn't say ultimates. He didn't. He just like, oh, I just I think maybe the newer one would have looked cooler if they had gone with that one. And this is another nerd trying to start strike up a conversation with me. And I'm I'm like, nah, screw that ultimates crap. I'm six one six all the way. And then I walked away. Like I could have made a friend. <laughs> um. And uh, yeah, that's the kind of attitude that that haunts me. If I could go back in time and shake shake the younger version of myself or quantum leap into a younger version of my body, that kind of there thing. You, but, you know, yeah. we all have. I think we all have nerdy regrets, but, um, you know, the best we can do now is just, you know, stuff like this. I, I love that, that you've reached out and, and wanted to, to have a conversation about this kind of stuff. We, we see eye to eye on a lot of this, obviously, but, uh, you know, there's minor points that we can disagree on and it's, it's fine. It's just, it's just stories, you know? <laughs> but, exactly. So. That's, I, I've always said, like, while I love sci-fi, it's not definitely, it's definitely not the only genre that I uh, am into. Honestly, any story that's told to me in a compelling way, I will be interested in whether it's whatever genre it may be. in. it doesn't, it doesn't matter whatever format it may be in a TV show or a movie or a book or a comic or a game or anything like that. You tell me a compelling story in a compelling way and I'm going to be on board. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it, it really comes down to just the storytelling of it all. And, you know, we talk about, you know, time travel in, in particular and you so many different ways that it could be in theory potentially maybe done or has been explained in various different ways and whether that matters to the story or not is whether or not I care about the science of it you know does does the science of it actually play into the storyline think back to the future going back to your your example that's a situation where while limited and um, very not fleshed out as far as the science aspect of it goes it did play a major part in the storytelling because you needed this thing to get yeah it going. we have to you power to the time the machine power. yeah so exactly get back yeah um and it, yeah again that one's just fun because you're also using the time travel knowledge you've got knowledge of the future he's got a pamphlet from his girlfriend it's just very that one's very well put together in terms of you know packaging the time travel into the storytelling and interweaving it in a way that again the science is not super important they make up you know it's a flux capacitor it makes time travel possible don't overthink it but yeah the the plot definitely still revolves around like oh we got to fix the time machine basically so i can get back home and then story the characters, you know, he learns about his parents and he learns about himself and he gains the confidence to go up on stage and take the rejection of all of those, all of his parents staring at him like he's uh, crazy, you know. <laughs> I think the, I think Back to the Future, well, like you said, is I think one of the better examples of time travel in film, even though it also seems to be one of the most maligned examples of of time travel in movies like people are always bashing on back to the future as far as like oh that's not how time travel even in marvel like that like they use that as an example as the, the oh this isn't back to the future it doesn't work that way but yet we pointed out all the ways that they did do everything that they needed to do to move the story along and make it work in at least a logical enough way to tell the story and to move the story along without it 
without you having to stretch your expectations of reality more than you already were by watching a time travel movie in the first place. Yeah, most most science fiction just does not hold up to close scientific scrutiny because it is fiction. It's yeah. it's going to it's going to fall apart at some point because yeah, we're making this up, and I think you have to be willing to go along a, a, a certain length with it. The bit in in Back to the Future that I think always gets just destroyed by scientists specifically. I think Neil deGrasse Tyson or um, maybe it's Sean Carroll, one of the podcaster, one of the podcasts that I listen to has, has brought it up a couple times. You know, when he's watching his hand disintegrate in real time, like you know, that wouldn't happen in real time as he's potentially. It's either he's either there or he's not there. And like this, this whole thing, you know, it starts to fall apart. But again, in terms of the storytelling, you could, again, we got to divorce ourselves from the science a little bit because we're telling a story, and you know that yeah. adds the dramatic effect of it, and, right? It's and how and do you, we, we forgive a little bit of that because we love the characters? We kind of talked about that already. And and how do we know? that that's not how it would work. Maybe the quantum particles of the being that is being changed from one time to the other would slowly, one at a time, start to float back from or towards or, you know, that's maybe that's how exactly it would work. Maybe they got the science exactly right and we just don't know it yet. Exactly. Maybe it's maybe the whole thing was a, a, an instruction for time travel that was dropped into the 80s by time travelers. <laughs> <laughs> you can't prove me wrong. <laughs> It's true. It's true. Can't do it. There's another fan theory for you. <laughs> Back to the Future is not a fiction movie, actually. It's a cautionary tale. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's what I love about science fiction, though, too, is a lot of it is cautionary tales. It's here's the technology. Uh, Crichton was great at this. A lot of Crichton's novels dealt with this exactly with the here's a technology that we're either just beginning or right on the cusp of it being a thing. And what would happen if we did get there and it was used incorrectly? Uh, Black Mirror, I think, does a fantastic job of taking that even to one one more step like here's the here's the worst possible outcome of this particular technology yeah another show yeah. i love actually because of that because it, it's taken that okay here's an existing technology but what if we made it real bad so it's it, it's fun in a show format i really do like that killer robots <laughs> yeah the, the, the dogs that that dog robot episode and then like two weeks later they were like i saw like a news story about like those robotic dogs that they were using to like go out and explore like kind of sniff out mines or in minefields or something i was like oh no no don't do it i've seen where this lands i've seen where this ends don't do it <laughs> But a lot of science fiction is taking this thing and saying, here's a thing that we shouldn't do because here's all the bad stuff that could happen. And then it seems like capitalism, they look at that thing and say, ooh, what if we did that? <laughs> I'll, bet I, I'll bet I could make some money off of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much you know where we want to be as far as the, the fiction of science is we want to be on that cusp of – I think Star Trek does a fantastic job of taking the technology and saying, showing how can we make this good? How can we use this technology to better – mankind and the universe in general where could we potentially go if we had this kind of technology you know you take you take the the replicators are a great example because you you take this ability to just turn energy into matter and boom food solved housing solved you you don't have yeah. shortages of these necessary things because all you need is energy and of course oh hey look at that we've got matter antimatter reactions to provide all the energy we need so we're good on energy we're good on food we're good on housing now we don't have to struggle for 
those things. Now what? How would now humanity what are progress? Be about? Yeah. yeah. And that's why we have to bring in alien races and, you know, all that sort of thing. That is one of the things that I really liked about Discovery is the fact that they did kind of take a little bit of a step back from Roddenberry's perfect vision of humanity in Starfleet, where there was never any disagreements between Starfleet officers. Conflict always had to come from outside. And yeah. they allowed for people to actually act as people in this future where there is, you know, less want, less need, but still humans are humans. There's still going to be disagreements. And I think they handled it very well in Discovery. I think if when you get through uh, season one, season one was particularly good. I really liked that. Season two was amazing. What I loved about Discovery so far, at least, is that it's, it's not about you know, competing for resources amongst each other or anything like that. We are still in that post-scarcity future, but there's a conflict. It is still con- a conflict with an outside source. You know, mm-hmm. we're at war with the Klingons, uh, and then it becomes about us butting heads on how to deal with it. What are our, where is the line for us as a species, as a, uh, as the Federation, you know, mm-hmm. what, what lines are we willing to cross and what are, you know, what are we going to stand for? And that's, those are the questions, you know, those are the big ones. If you take away the necessity of it all, like, you know, we do so many things in life because we have to, you know, I got to pay my bills. I got to go do a job. I got to feed my family, you know, all, all of this stuff. Like, you know, would I necessarily be doing what I do for, you know, a paycheck? Uh, if all of that was just off of the table, uh, maybe, you know, I kind of like doing what I do. So it's not like it, it it's not like I hate it, but I also maybe wouldn't have to, so I would be free yeah. to do other things. What what kind of choices do you make when you when necessity isn't well, isn't the primary motivator? Exactly. And yeah, that's one of the things that I love about the direction that Star Trek has gone is Discovery really took that in a different direction. Like, yeah, scarcity is not a problem anymore, but we, we have other things that humans could still butt heads over about how to handle a war, how to deal with conflicts, even if it's still an us versus them thing, even amongst ourselves, we, we may have some disagreements on how to handle ourselves. So, yeah, I really appreciate the, the change in direction on that. I'm looking forward to finishing it at some point. <laughs> definitely, definitely highly recommend. Um, yeah, season one was great. Season two was fantastic. Season three was, uh, for me, the lowest moment of the four so far, but still fantastic. Like, I am, I'm a huge Discovery stan, I'll tell you that right now. I am absolutely... We'll sing its praises all day long, every day, because it's been absolutely fantastic. And season four, they went in. That, that's the thing is they've been able to take each season. It does have their own you know, season arc, of course, but they've been able to transition very well into telling a different story the next season. All right, Mike. So if people wanted to find you on TikTok to check out these great series that you've been doing, check that out and find out what that's all about. How would they do that? So if you search for at Dread Pirate Dad, like, you know, like the Dread Pirate Roberts from The Princess Bride, it's a it's a little bit of a nod to, to one of my old favorites. But uh, but I'm my name's not Roberts. It's Dad. Um, <laughs> so the Dread uh, at Dread Pirate Dad at, on TikTok. That's me. That's fantastic. I Princess Bride is actually my favorite movie of all. It legit is my favorite film of all time. I love that movie. Amazing. No argument. But, no yeah. argument from me whatsoever. <laughs> it fantastic. is. It is a perfect film, and you cannot convince me otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find uh, me on. Pretty much any social media platform at Eric J. Dewey on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, uh, even Twitch and my Xbox gamer tag is uh, is the same. You can follow this show at Interstellar Comms on the Instagram or at Intercoms Pod on Twitter because 
The other one was too long. But you can find all those links and more at interstellarcoms.com, including guest profiles, episodes, and all that fun stuff. Okay, folks, thank you so much for joining us this episode, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Interstellar Comms with Eric right here on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. For more information about the show, including our social media accounts, contact information, and more details about our guests, visit interstellarcoms.com. I'll be back soon with another amazing guest, so keep those comm channels open and watch for the signals.